Hey, Tony, I, I noticed that when we were planning uh, this week's road trip, that you've come up with kind of a pretty cool theme for the uh, show. Well, you know, Aaron, as I was uh, digging around trying to figure out what was going on this week in rock history, I ran across a few stories of rock stars and really popular country stars trying to do good in the world, you know, trying to use their powers for good and not evil. And so I thought that would make a great road trip theme for today because it all happened this week in rock history. So we've got uh, three great stories here. We're taking a visit with... uh, Alice Cooper, and then Ozzy Osbourne, and Garth Brooks. It's going to be really interesting, I think. You know what? Uh, I'm interested in Alice Cooper because he's fam- one of his most famous songs is No More Mr. Nice Guy. So I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Well, let's hit the road. Here we go. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Bashman. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our Wayback Music Machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. So for our first part of the road trip here, we're going to visit the Sunshine Coast. We're going to California on November 22nd, 1991. And I always love when uh, we get to visit California, especially, you know, it's here, it's November. The snow hasn't hit yet, but it is getting cold. Well, not here, but it's hit some places of Ontario, I could tell you. Yeah, I heard about that. 20 centimeters in a few places. So that is a little crazy. Well, you know what? (laughs) I'm getting warm already thinking about heading to California. Let's go. You know, although his public persona or his stage act or whatever doesn't really show it, Alice Cooper is actually one of the nicest human beings in rock and roll, bar none. Yeah, I've heard that. I would love to, you know, sit down and chat with him because I've heard that from so many people. He just seems like such yeah. a nice guy. And it's and it's totally a, a stage persona, but you know, there's so many stories of him just helping out other people, but we found a really good one here. Uh, he came to the rescue of two of his fans, Patrick and Deanne Kelly. Their California home was about to be repossessed back in 91. Do you remember 91 way back then? I mean, that was a terrible time for homeowners, right? In- interest rates were through the roof. And mm-hmm. I, I remember, you know, working with people who had lost their homes back then. It was It was awful. And so... Patrick, though, he was a big Alice Cooper fan, and he had painted uh, Alice Cooper's face on the house to help uh, sell the property, which I am shocked that you would think that uh, putting Alice Cooper on there would help sell the property, but hey, to well, each their own. you know, heavy metal headbangers need a place to live, too. <laughs> well, that's right. So here is the best part, though, right, is word got out, uh, and Alice Cooper Vincent Fernier, his real name, but uh, Alice Cooper, found out about it, and he decided to uh, help them out. So he did a bunch of stuff, right? He signed autographs to help raise money, and uh, I mean, it was crazy. And he ended up raising quite a bit of money for them and helped them to be able to keep their house. So that is that is an amazing story. But you know, it's funny with Alice Cooper. He he always does things very privately. 
Um, did you see that picture that was circulated on the uh, Facebook of him? I guess it was like at a food line or something. Did you ever see that? I did. He was like serving in a soup kitchen or something, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't look like Alice Cooper because his makeup's not on and he just looks like some, you know, nice old guy who's going to help out, right? Yeah, absolutely. But you look at what he's done, Tony. Like he's he he's a president of Solid Rock, an organization which strives to help teens and children in the Phoenix area. And I don't have a problem with him picking a specific doesn't he live there or I think he lives in Phoenix now yeah yeah so he's and then and you know he's an avid golfer and he's in all of these charitable golf tournaments um, he's just and I love his I, I, I found a quotation when I was going through some research and it said on stage I'm one thing but off stage I'm different it's kind of like Bubba Lugosi and Fred McMurray yeah that is such <laughs> a great quote <laughs> I thought, yeah, okay, that that fits. Yeah, that's where, that's good. You know? But you know, when I was researching this story, so by just by uh, selling his autographs and uh, being attached to this <clears> whole <throat> cause, he raised eleven thousand dollars in short order, and allowed right. the carpenters to keep their house. So, isn't that a fabulous story? Oh, he's it's it's a great story, and it it speaks to who he is, in my opinion. I don't I don't think it's. Um, and again, I don't think he did it because it was going to sell records or whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. He he had no ulterior motive there at all. And, you know, I um, I love what you wrote in the show notes today about uh, his being inspired by the Beatles. But we should mention that, too, because, again, we tie a lot of things into the Beatles on this show. And uh, <laughs> do, you want, do you want to read off that quote? That is fabulous. Yeah. He said in an interview... Um, I was 15 when the Beatles hit it big in the United States. I was at the perfect age when I saw the Beatles on TV. All of a sudden, there was another option for my for people my age. We could either push grocery carts at Safeway or form a band. I formed a band that played Beatles and Rolling Stones covers. Yeah, and, and I mean, of course, a lot of uh, kids got into music after Elvis and after the Beatles, and that's why we talk about them so much, but... Uh, I love Alice Cooper, I have to say, and uh, Did, I agree with you. No more Mr. Nice Guy. What a great song. Eh? <laughs> I, have to, I have to tell you a story. Do you know how he got his first record contract? I should know this. I think we talked about this perhaps did, on our yeah. old show. But Maybe I, we did, yeah. But I can't remember. How did he get his first record contract? So Frank Zappa had a record label. Oh, that's right. And he showed up at the house. Do you remember this story? Yeah, <laughs> at he, seven in the morning. That's right. Seven. He showed up at the house at seven in the morning and just said, like, sign us and... Uh, and Zappa well, and, didn't know what to make yeah. of them, right? Well, Zappa comes to the door in his house coat and thought, if these guys are energetic enough to get up at seven in the morning and rock, okay. Oh. I'm. <laughs> well, you know what? And from a, speaking as a musician, right? Like not many musicians are up at 7 a.m., right? You're just getting home from work then usually. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Zappa was. Um, but, you know, so Zappa signed him to this label. And, you know, good on Zappa for recognizing that there was talent there, right? But well, he, he, amazing um, talent. he signed him. Uh, you yeah. know, he's got a great voice, eh? Don't you find? Still does. Still yeah. does. Like his his voice. I bought his last album that came out last year, and it's it's still as good as ever, in my opinion. You know, I I think he's great. Oh, me too. And I noticed that uh, we're going to talk about the uh, singles charts today, aren't we? For this, so uh, what what were the well, top I, five I, singles here? I picked different charts for each segment. So how about that? Oh, perfect. Um, 
So the top five singles in 1991, I'm, I'm curious to know what you think of number one, but I'm, I'm not going to say a word. Number five, Canada's own Brian Adams with Can't Stop This Thing We Started. Number four is Boys to Men, who are now, I guess, collecting pensions. Um, it's hard to say, <laughs> it's hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Three, PM Dawn with Set Adrift on Memory Bliss. Number two, my favorite, Prince and the NPG with Cream. Oh, yeah. Uh, number one, Tony, was uh, Michael Bolton, When a Man Loves a Woman. Now, was this, this was, this would have been uh, Bolton's mullet phase too, right? When he had the really, really long hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you remember how, <laughs> yes. Do you remember how much people loved that guy? Like it was, it was crazy. He was huge. Yeah. He was massive. Now, I wasn't a Bolton fan. I've, I've got okay, to just. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to ask what you thought of his car. I, I prefer the original oh, by me Percy too. Sledge. Yeah, I prefer the Percy Sledge version too. But uh, <laughs> you know what? Good on Bolton for covering a classic song, though. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and his cover was pretty faithful. He didn't kind of, you know, throw in stuff that really shouldn't be there. It's pretty good. I, I'm not a fan of the song or Bolton, but I didn't think it was a horrible version, you know? No, I agree with you. Now, you know, I've got some bad news for you, Aaron, um, because oh, no. we're, we're sitting here in sunny California. We're, we have to go across the pond to England, and uh, I don't think we packed umbrellas. Um, well, good thing we don't have a convertible then, eh? That's right. That's right. <laughs> we've got a sunroof in the Wayback Machine, but we, uh, we've got it closed. So let's head over to England, and we are going to be checking out one of our favorite musicians on this show. This uh, this is November the 22nd, 2004, that we're going to. And of I'm doing course, the thing with my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and we're paying a visit to Ozzy Osbourne. So here we go. Okay, so here we are, November 22nd on 2004, and Buckinghamshire, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, uh, we are <laughs> here, uh, just parked outside Ozzy Osbourne's mansion, and you know, we've started to talk about Ozzy quite a bit on the show lately, have you noticed? Uh, and I, I gotta be honest with you, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> I don't either, he's always good for a story, and uh, this is another great story, but uh, why are we here? What happened on this night? Well, I think I think since you found it, I really think that you should talk about it because it it's it's funny and tragic. No, not tragic at all. I'm just kidding. So Ozzy basically struggled with a burglar, right? That's right. So he struggled with a burglar who was escaping. He, the burglar was robbing Ozzy's mansion, and Ozzy caught him. And uh, the burglar had grabbed jewelry worth about two million pounds, if you can believe that. And uh, Osborne told reporters that he had uh, grabbed this masked burglar and had him in a headlock as he tried to stop him. The, uh, you know, the burglar broke free and jumped, listen to this, Aaron, 30 feet from a first floor window. So <laughs> it's unbelievable. But a, lar a large amount of jewelry was stolen. Some of it they got back. But um, isn't that incredible? So Ozzy Osborne, I can just picture it here, getting uh, a burglar in a, in a headlock. Uh, didn't quite succeed, but still trying to good, do good to protect his uh, his home and his family. And but I think the other thing was uh, this burglar had burgled other places in the house or neighborhood, right? Yes, I think so. So uh, you know, an Aussie almost captured him, right? So there you go. I mean, this is I okay. The million dollar question: Where was Sharon? 
you know that that's a good question i'm not sure but uh, i mean where was sharon she she should have been on that one right that that should have been hers well that's right she should have been tackling uh tackling the burglar right and, and uh, she's she's tougher than to, than, than um, ozzy anyways but he he doesn't look like a strong guy to me like no when he, he says doesn't. He, the headlock that makes me laugh because oh yeah i i read this story and uh you know as i was looking into it i was laughing as well but uh so ozzy you know um doing good in a different kind of way trying to prevent a theft and uh i'm sure i wonder how much of that jewelry was sharon's and how much was his though you know well, okay, that's a good point because he does wear an awful lot of. He used to, anyways. Do you remember all the crosses and and? You, but I tell you, the thing about Ozzy and I'm going to see if I can connect all the stories back to the Beatles. Okay, um, <laughs> he's I an avid Beatle. I think I can. He's an avid Beatle collector. Oh, is he? And he is, and he has some really rare stuff, and. Honestly, this guy could have just ripped off his Beatles stuff. It'd be worth probably more than the jewelry because he's got stuff that McCartney's given him and Ringo. He he has incredible collection on the Beatles. So, oh, there you go. Now I know why you like uh, talking about Ozzy so much. That's <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> wow! Now just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so but he does. Have you have you ever heard him do Imagine? Uh, no, I've heard him do "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" during the seventh inning stretch. <laughs> do you remember that? Seriously, where where was that? Oh, I well, missed that. Where they? Which stadium do they do that at? The Cubs, right? The Chicago Cubs. Yeah, well, they do it everywhere. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, Cubs. which is the one where they get the celebrities? That's the Chicago Cubs, Cubs right? Cubs. Yeah, look yeah. up uh, Ozzy Osbourne being uh, brought in to do the uh, "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" during the seventh inning okay. stretch. I, you. No kidding, I will, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it gets about a a sentence or so in before the uh, lyrics start getting mangled, and it is very, very funny. Oh, poor Ozzy. I mean, they're not hard lyrics, right? Nope, nope. But uh, it it goes about the way that you are probably thinking it goes right now. Oh, Ozzy, Ozzy. I'm going to look it up. Uh, You know what? We should put a link to that, eh? Oh, we should, for sure. It is uh, one of the all-time classic uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Games from from the Chicago Cubs. I I still think one of the funniest interview clips is when he's making breakfast. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't it on fire or something? Yes. (laughs) And the the interviewer is, Ozzy, the the stove's on fire. Uh, Making bacon and egg. No, no, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. So what what chart did you pick for this uh, time period? Well, this one was an interesting chart. I went with albums instead of singles. Okay. I don't know why. I just felt like doing albums. So, number five is an album we've talked about, and I know you, you're a fan of Rod Stewart, Stardust, The Great American Songbook, Volume Three. I love his take on The Great American Songbook. To be honest, I, I think he's yeah. got a, such a great voice for doing those kind of tunes. And I remember he took quite a bit of flack when he first started that project, but boy, he proved all the haters wrong. I think. Well, he he made them his. I mean, they're it's hard. I mean, they were big albums. Number five, right? I mean, come on. Number four is Usher with Confessions. And okay. I'm going to confess, I've never heard the album. I haven't either. Uh, hey, how was that a good segue? That was a fantastic segue. Thank you. Number three is Nelly. <laughs> Suit. Well, Suit. Can't, I haven't heard that one either, so. No. And uh, A Perfect Circle, 
No, wait. The band is called Emotive. I got it backwards. The band is called Emotive, and the album was called A Perfect Circle. Uh, and number one was one of those compilation albums, like Now we call, now 17 by various... Interesting, that week, though, so this is 1991, 11 years, 11 years, almost to the day of his, his death, John Lennon debuted at number 31 with a, an album called Acoustic. Oh, wow. Which, which was all acoustic. Him... They're basically demos of some of his songs. Odd, oddly enough, you cannot buy that album anymore, nor is it on Spotify, nor is it stream anywhere. It's just gone, which is a shame. It's a good album. Oh, wow. Wow, that, that's a neat uh, little Beatles connection there, too. So now I've got some good news is we're going back to California. We're going back to uh, November 26th, 1991, San Bernardino, and we're going to be talking about Garth Brooks. So here we go. Here we are in sunny, and I do mean sunny, San Bernardino in California. Uh, Tony, quick question. I don't see it on you, but did you not bring a cowboy hat? Did you not get my email? Well, you know what, Aaron? A cowboy hat is not my best look, so I decided uh, not I, to go for I it. I will be the judge of that. I think you would look smashing in a good old 10-gallon black cowboy hat. Well, you know what? If you added the chaps, I think it would be perfect. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear <laughs> Tony why, why are we here in San Bernardino Bernardino well, we're here to talk about Garth Brooks and uh, Garth Brooks is uh, a noted philanthropist and he lends his fame uh, to a variety of causes but this is a great one you know um, he was trying to help get a food drive going and he asked fans at, for a grocery store in San Bernardino to get, you know, bring 10 cans of food to this grocery store in exchange for a lottery envelope. And some of those envelopes contain tickets to see Garth at a forthcoming show. And they ended up, this is incredible, over 10,000 cans were donated to charity. 8,000 pounds of food was donated. And it took me forever, Aaron, to research this story. I remember I was telling you that. Um, but I finally found it. It was a, a station called KFRG Radio. They're also known as KFROG in San Bernardino. And they worked with Garth Brooks to get this food drive going and to get this lottery going with the tickets. And 8,000 pounds of food donated. So uh, a pretty amazing. But Garth Brooks... Uh, really came up and uh and delivered now i i'm curious to before i started researching the show i i wasn't aware of all the charitable stuff that this man does it's pretty overwhelming you know it is and i think he's a lot like alice cooper in that way that he just does it he doesn't expect anything in return i think he realizes he's got a platform and a voice and he uses it for example, yeah, like, I mean, you look at the, uh, he did concerts, five, and live in LA benefit concerts, five sold out concerts, five, over a two-day period at the Staples Center in Los Angeles yeah. in January 25th and 26th of 2008, setting numerous records at the high-profile venue in the process. And he he raised all this money for fire intervention relief efforts and for the for the wildfires in 2007. Um, and actually, one of the concerts was broadcast live on TV as a telethon. I, m I missed that one. 
But that's pretty incredible, don't you think? And the tickets weren't that expensive, 40 bucks each. No, 40 bucks each and all five shows. Uh, so they ended up selling 85,000 tickets, more than 85,000, sold yeah. out in less than an hour. You know, But that was the kind of draw that Garth Brooks was. Like, Do you remember that yeah. in the 90s? I mean, there was nobody bigger, I don't think. Well, okay, Beatle Connection. He's second to the Beatles in, in selling the most records in the United States. Oh, wow. I, I, that doesn't, doesn't shock me at all. Yeah, um, he's he's behind them by about 20 million. But he was, I don't think, talking now, I don't think people can remember how massive this guy was in the, in the early 90s, for, for most of the decade, actually. Oh, for sure. And um, has stuck around, you know. I mean, certainly not as popular now, but... Uh, not afraid either to court controversy, right? Because in 1999, uh, there was an yeah. interview where he said, you know, because uh, country music sometimes can appeal to more traditionalists, right? In terms of their religious views. And Garth had this <laughs> quote, he says, if you're in love, you've got to follow your heart and trust that God will explain to us why we sometimes fall in love with people of the same sex. No problem with that at all. And, um, you know, good for him for saying that, especially, you know, 1999, uh, you still couldn't say a lot of things back then. I mean, I think 1999 was still don't ask, don't tell in the American military, wasn't it? Very much. And and what's even for a country artist, kind of, he did a concert, an Equality Rocks benefit concert for gay rights, and he sang a duet with George Michael. Oh, fantastic. I mean, and I pretty love- amazing. I love that song of his called We Shall Be Free. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say that that song had a, you know, a thinly veiled reference to same-sex relationships. You know, it had that line, uh, when we're free to love anyone we choose, right? And yeah, he won uh, Glad Media must be some kind of, uh, I don't know what Glad stands for, G-L-A-A-D, but uh, must be some kind of LGBTQ rights type organization. But he won an award for that song and... Uh, very, very uh, big humanitarian. So neat to to talk about him today. Yeah, we never talked about a lot of the big country artists from the '90s. I mean, this is when country also was coming into its own. I mean, it, we're not we're talking. Yeah, Johnny Cash had. I mean, Johnny Cash's name in Whalen, but '90s country hit big, right? It was massive. The, the tra- Travis Tritt, Randy Travis, um, so many that were just just massive. Well, that's right. And a lot of that country from that time, I mean, was basically rockabilly, right? And uh, it, uh, it it peaked around 1994. I remember those days very clearly. But I remember yeah. buying country CDs, to be honest. Who did you buy? Well, I bought uh, I bought Garth Brooks, for sure. I've got a bunch of his albums. I've got uh, a Reba McIntyre album, a guy named David Lee Murphy. Um, who's the other one? Uh, Alan Jackson. I've got a couple of his. I mean... We were listening to that stuff, you know, it was just so popular, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's funny because, here's this for a segue. You just mentioned Reba McIntyre. She was in the top five that week. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, and it also got played on pop radio too, right? You'd hear Garth Brooks on regular top 40 radio. Oh, you would. Country. And you remember his, he covered the Billy Joel song, right? Uh, what was the name of that song that he covered? Um, Oh, I can't remember it now, but uh, put it on the Spotify playlist if you can. Garth's cover of that, uh, uh, Shameless, Shameless. Do you remember that? The Garth cover of that? Interesting story is that none of Garth's music is on Spotify. 
Oh, did he not give them the rights to it? Nope. So the only stuff that's on Spotify is the stuff he did with his wife, Trisha Yearwood, and the one you mentioned before about being free. They're on there, but nothing else is. Oh, so maybe we can put the original by Billy Joel on there. I think we can do that, yes. Yeah, it's a great (laughs) song. So I am guessing that you must have uh, looked at... Oh, by the way, did you notice? I remembered the charts. It's the third set, a third segment here, and I remembered the charts this week. So uh, what did you pick for the charts? I'm I'm a bit disappointed because I had uh, in the pool I had that you weren't going to so now I just <laughs> lost forty. <laughs> uh, so I did the top five country albums and 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 you'll see why when I tell you the top five country albums. Uh, number five was Garth Brooks with his first album Garth Brooks, which had, by that point had been on for 132 weeks. That's unbelievable. So that's over two years, right? Yep. Um, I failed math, folks, but. Tony's a teacher, so he should know. Uh, number four is Travis Tritt. It's about to change. Number three is, you mentioned her already, Reba McIntyre for My Broken Heart. Number two, Garth Brooks, No Fences, had been on the charts for 61 weeks. It's I, still number two. I've got it right here on the shelf. <laughs> and number one is one I have, uh, Rope in the Wind. Yeah, I've got that one, one too. So... Out of the top five, he had three of the top five, which is close to when the Beatles had five of the top five. Well, that's right. Uh, but he didn't get the five. The Beatles did. But you remember, <laughs> I mean, he was uh, he had done that concert in Central Park for, what, a million people? Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Do you, remember, do you remember his bit of a bonehead move, though? Um, Chris Gaines? Oh, yeah, when he adopted that other persona. I never really Chris under- Gaines, yeah. Yeah, I never really understood that. It was some kind of experiment, I'm guessing. Yeah, it failed. <laughs> It was just, it was really, because it wasn't even close to country. It was almost um, bordering grunge, you know? Yeah, it was very odd. I mean, well, uh, you know, good on him for for trying, I guess. He just needed to branch out a little bit, but. uh, Can't fault the guy. You cannot fault the guy at all. Nope. He is, uh, and and he's a hard worker. You know, I've heard that his concerts are fantastic. And uh, I remember seeing footage of those shows from the 90s and uh, unbelievable, you know, just took big to a whole new level in those concerts. Well, he was, he was like a, it was like, um, in a sense, like a Bowie concert. He was flying around the auditorium and yeah, it was pretty big. Yeah. Pretty Pretty incredible. Now, are you ready to head back to the present for our Memphis to Merseyside moment? Oh, I'd love to. That would be awesome. Yes. Yeah. I love that we introduced this segment last week. So here we go back to 2021. Well, it's good to be home, but I sure do miss that California sunshine. But you got a tan, though, because you know why? You didn't wear a cowboy hat and protect yourself. Well, and I'm also Italian, Aaron. I go out for about uh, 10 (laughs) minutes and I'll get a tan, you know. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, since we talked about Elvis Presley last week on our Memphis to Merseyside segment, let's talk about what the Beatles were up to. And you found a pretty neat one this week. Yeah, I thought we were talking about musicians, <coughs> excuse me, musicians doing for others. I thought this was interesting that that in November 25th, 1965, the department store Harrods closed its store to the public for three hours. Now, Harrods, I don't know if you've, if you've, if you've ever been there. I've been to, the, to in London. I've been to it. It's massive. Great, great food there. Great food. 
Um, so they closed for three hours so that the Beatles could finish their Christmas shopping. Wow. Can you now, imagine? That isn't the cutest thing you've ever heard, right? Yeah, that is amazing. And can you imagine uh, the fans outside, you know, trying to peek in the windows? I can just totally oh, visualize it now. It must have been mayhem outside. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No question in my mind. But, you know, the fact that they had to at that, well, 65, I think. They had done Shea Stadium. They were massive. 65 was kind of their peak year in terms of the hysteria. There was no way they could... And they, listen, this is before there was shopping online. Um, you know, it was... There's How are you going to do? You have to close the store. Because the Beatles... You know that every year the Beatles would send out a free record to their fan club, right? They would record a Christmas message. Yeah. They liked Christmas. So this was... They, they wanted to get into a store and do some Christmas shopping. Now, what do you think they bought, though, I wonder? I'd be, I'd love to see the list of what they purchased, you know? Well, this is it. Eh? This is why you wouldn't... I want to be the checkout. Oh, look at Paul. And, and then I would... I would um, I would love, 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 love to see that they actually competed. Well, George bought this. <laughs> <laughs> and John spent this much, you know what I mean? Like, it'd be so funny. Yeah, that would be, be fantastic. I had, what a story if you were one of the clerks that day. Like, you'd, you'd take that with you forever. And the number one single at the time in England and North America would have been We Can Work It Out Day Tripper, right? So, Oh, wow. Which, Day Tripper, did I tell you? Well, I always mention this because... Uh, Rick and I do an excellent version of uh, Day Tripper in our live set, actually. Fantastic. Yeah, and you know, we were just fooling around one day. Uh, Rick started playing the riff for Day Tripper, and I just came in and kind of jammed on it, and we thought, we really got to do this in a show. It sounds so good. So we have this very cool version of uh, Day Tripper that we do. So what what do you play in it? What, what would you what instrument are you playing? Well, when Rick and I do ninety five percent of our gigs, uh, I'm playing a clarinet because we're like a guitar and clarinet kind of Paris nineteen thirties type of sound, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's great for small rooms and very very relaxed. But it's such a neat version of Day Tripper. It's uh, smooth, 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 like a fresh jar of Skippy, as the song says. Oh, very. <laughs> nice. I'd love to hear it. I would love to hear it. Well, you know what? Uh, when you get up here for a gig, we'll put we'll do a whole Beatles little mini set just for you. How's that sound? Would you do? I would, I would like that very much. And speaking of things that we love very much, well, how's that for a segue, my friend? Uh, you win. You win. You absolutely <laughs> win. So speaking of things that we like very much, we we really like our fans. In fact, we love our fans. And uh, I think we should do what you did a few weeks ago and give personal shout outs to some of the people who are listening so who should we shout out to today you know i think we should give a shout out i mean all of our fans are terrific and and uh wow where would we where would we be without them but darren darren's always re you know sharing our stuff and he's always got a great comment and he's he's very funny too so I, i think we should give a shout out to darren i think so too so darren thanks for being such a great supporter of the show and uh you know what? He, Darren looks like he'd be a great guy to hang out with, doesn't he? Absolutely. And and he's a very talented musician, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Saying. Absolutely. Very talented. Very talented. Yeah, he'd be great to hang out with. I think it would be one of those times where you, your sides would be hurting from laughing, you know? Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, here we are uh, pulling up at your place, Aaron. So uh, thanks, folks, for uh, indulging us today and letting us into your headphones. And uh, have a great week, my friend. 
You too. All the best. Stay warm and stay safe. Uh, you as well. Talk to you soon. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denis. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine Podcast is a Stewie Tunes production. It's not just business, it's personal. And Signature Theatre's new musical, No Place to Go. When dedicated employee George discovers his company is relocating to Mars, he must decide whether to go and uproot his family's life or embark on an unknown venture. Featuring DC star Bobby Smith, No Place to Go is an irreverent and humorous musical with an enterprising twist. Now playing at Signature Theatre through October 16th. Get your tickets at sigtheatre.org.